0: The book of Acts picks up right where the four Gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All righty, everybody. It is that time to get back started again, digging back in to the words of life, the Bible. You know the Bible comes from the Greek word biblos, which means the book. So it's time to go turn back to the book, the owner's manual, how to have a blessed life. Amen? Amen. Let's go to him. Father God, we... Acknowledge that you're with us by the power of the Holy Spirit, present by the Spirit of Christ. We pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding and hear. So the church is getting a lot of pushback now for the first time in the book of Acts. The spiritual powers of darkness in heavenly places, as you put it, are now drawing near and uh, hindering, attempting to hinder. Hinder. The work of the gospel in Christians and through them. We pray that you would give us helpful insights as the fight continues 2,000 years later, even today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, yeah, when someone says, Hey, I've got some good news, you kind of perk off and you get a little bit happy. You anticipate some rejoicing to come because. Uh, something wonderful has happened, maybe a birth announcement, or an unexpected inheritance. How about that? Or uh, a tragedy is averted, or justice has prevailed. That's some good news, and greater the news, the greater the joy. At least it should be. How crazy would it be for someone who gets good news, who reacts with indifference? Worse yet, even hostility. As bizarre as that will sound, it's exactly what's going on here in the book of Acts, chapter 4, where we find ourselves. And sadly, it goes on all around us in the world today. So here now, as I said already in my prayer, the first official persecution recorded uh, of the Christian church, which continues throughout the book of Acts, starting here in chapter 4. And it's so bizarre, because it's in reaction to the greatest news the world has ever known. The word gospel comes from the Greek evangelium, which means good story, or good telling, or good news. Yeah, good news. It's the heartbeat of the Christian faith, the the Christian message, the Christian mission, It's the reason the Son of God came down from heaven, as he put it. I came down from heaven to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Your sins can be wiped out. You can cross from death and judgment to life. You can be reconciled to God in his love and have his favor upon your life instead of judgment and live forever. Just have faith in me because I, I am the one who can make all of the above happen. So all that's required is to turn around. That's what the word repent means. It means to do a U-turn. Or to have a change of heart. How simple is that? He knows we can't be good enough. He's already broken the bad news. There is no one who does good. No, not one. Because we're all flawed and we're, we have all sinned and fall short of his glory. So he did what we could never do. He lived the perfect life for us and died the perfect sacrifice to pay our penalty as not just a man, but the perfect, sinless God man, the Son of the living God. And so heaven calls this good news. Or so heaven thinks it's good news. In fact, in the New Testament, have you ever noticed it's called the gospel of God? It's just a, a a neat phrase over and over again. Even the angel at Christmas time, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy for all the people. Yeah, it's intended for all the people, but not all the people find heaven's good news great joy. Instead, they find it, to quote our passage this morning, they find the message disturbing, like the guys we're going to meet this morning. Well, how is that possible? Well, if you don't want to give up your sin, and you like your life just the way it is, and you like doing your own thing, then yeah, God's good news for you, Uh, is not very good news at all. So let's dive back in because we're in the middle of that good news being proclaimed and then uh, those who do not wish to repent and have decided, because I don't want to repent, I'm not buying the message uh, that's before us now, And it's evidenced as accurate by this miracle of raising this guy who'd been paralyzed for 40 years as evidence. He stands there as evidence. Everything I just said about eternal life is true. And as evidence, here's what only God could do, and he raised this man up to his feet. And so for context now, as we dive back in, uh, we're in the temple courts, here in Jerusalem. Uh, you remember the story of the last couple weeks we've been talking about because it, it spans two chapters. And so Peter and John were headed <laughs> in the temple to the prayer service where thousands of Christian Jews are now meeting as well. Thousands, 3,000. And uh, today they're going to you're gonna see them grow to a larger number. They pass by the lame man, the beggar asks for some coins, but Peter, moved by the Holy Spirit, says, I got something better in the name of Jesus. Walk. And he gets up, leaps for joy, but because miracles were always given to point to the greater work, the more important thing than strong ankles, is living forever, escaping, perishing forever. That's more important than a miracle of physical healing. And so that's why the healings were always connected to the message of the gospel, the greater miracle. And so uh, the crowds gather, they want to see this man, and Peter knows, hey, this is an opportunity because he's a Christian, he knows. There's a victory, people are gathering, Uh, point them to heaven. That's the loving thing to do, even if it involves a little bit of bad news in the beginning about how helpless and hopeless we are without intervention of God having a savior. So if you do have a savior, uh, it's because you need it to be saved, you see? And that's the part that a lot of people don't appreciate. Uh, They don't think they need to be saved because they were born fine the first time. Uh, as the bumper sticker goes. I don't know if you've ever seen this. No thanks, I was born right the first time. It's a, oh, okay, you know, I just smile and wave. <laughs> uh, Peter uh, tells them, uh, this miracle uh, comes to you courtesy of Jesus, the one who really did the work, not us. Uh, he's now alive in our hearts through the Spirit of Christ. And now... Um, Uh, the one that you put to death, God raised uh, from the dead. And so he said it's part of God's loving plan all along. So he says, and now wrapping things up as we dive into the response from the bad guys, he said, you guys have made some incredibly self-serving foolish choices. But even now, if you repent and have a change of heart and turn to the Lord, your sins will be wiped out. And you'll be ready for the biggest event of all when he appears. Now the crowd's hanging on every word and everything's going smoothly until verse 1. The priests and the captain of the guard, the, the temple guard and the Sadducees come up to Peter and John while they're still speaking to the people about the gospel. They were greatly disturbed Agitated and annoyed is the word. Because the apostles were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So not only is Jesus alive and rose from the dead, but if you trust in him, you also will be raised to new life. Uh, Verse 3, they seized this strong word in the Greek, apprehended Peter and John, and because it was evening, They put them in jail until the next day, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men alone grew to be about 5,000. So scholars say there's more than 10,000 really attending this church. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the Bible, Old Testament Bibles called the Law, met in Jerusalem. Now some characters that we are familiar with because Jesus stood in the same place facing the same people only three months earlier. Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, his son-in-law, by the way, John and Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Like they don't know. Unbelievable. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, underline that in your Bible, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and asked how he was healed, okay, guilty as charged, then know this, You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. You are picturing the Jewish Supreme Court, 80 of them, and two of them, two of the guys. Intimidation. Wow, profound. So, yeah, this man stands before you because uh, God raised Jesus from the dead. And it's in Jesus' name and power and authority that he's healed. Uh, verse 11, he is, uh, to quote Psalm 118, a song we all know, and here's a lyric that we all sing. The stone you builders rejected, which has now become the capstone. He is That cornerstone, capstone, same word. And that capstone, that one piece that you rejected, sorry, there's salvation found in no one else. There's no other stones. There's no other uh, way. There's no other road. There's no other path. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It goes on. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary guys without a rabbinic seminary training. They were astonished and they took note that connected them to Jesus. Huh. Verse 14. But since they, could, since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, so there, there he is again, he shows up again with his good legs jumping around, you know. There was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, which is the, the collection of all of the official court there. And they confer together. What are we going to do with these guys? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows this guy, and he's standing there. It's an outstanding miracle. We can't deny it. But we better stop this thing, this terrible thing, the God, the God who loves us and sent his son to die for us, to give us eternal life so we don't have to perish. we got to stop this nasty thing from spreading any further among the people. We must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name, lest we have to say it. Yikes. <laughs> and then they called them in again and commanded them, here's the mandate, no speaking or teaching in the name of Jesus. We're going to post that on every pillar here in the temple. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves, whether it's right in God's sight, to obey you rather than him. <laughs> Verse 20, we can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people, thousands, thousands of happy Jewish Christian people were praising God for what had happened. So they're outgunned, in verse 22, for the guy who was miraculously healed had been crippled for all, oh, more than 40 years. And so that is the extended reading. We are going to walk through this exciting incident again in all the ways it has ripple effects there. Now, it's an exciting day at church. I'm sure everybody there... That day was glad that they didn't stay home um, because of all the drama, you know. So, yeah, that's the thing about church. You never know, you know. And so, yeah, the guys are in some hot water for not doing anything wrong, but for obeying God. So, so please hear that. Most of the New Testament shows us courageous Christians who get in trouble because they are doing what God has asked them to do. And Jesus did give them heads up by the way, when you obey me, just remember, you'll get the same kind of reception I got because you're saying the same thing I said and you're acting in the same ways that I acted. And it got me the cross. What do you want, a standing ovation? Not going to happen. He says, no servant is greater than their master. So if they crucified your master and you're the master's servant, you think you're going to do better? He says, woe to you when men applaud you all the time and everybody loves you to death in the world. He goes, woe to you. Because that means you're friends with them. They (coughs) they, They love everything you say and do. It's sure evidence that you're not representing me when the world loves you. In fact, everybody, quote, everyone who desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution. It's just the way it is. Because Jesus said, here's the verdict from me. He says, light has come down into the world, but men prefer darkness because their deeds are evil. Strong language, but those are Jesus' words. And then he puts his words that uh, kind of elicited that kind of response of hostility, he puts the same words in our mouths and we're saying the same thing. And, and, and that's why Jesus says, would you guys stop taking it so personally when they're, re- they're not rejecting you? Was this all your ideas, the gospel your idea? Are these your thoughts and your values? Did you make this stuff up? No. Well, then they're not mad at you. It feels like they are. He says, keep this in mind. If they reject you, it's because they reject me. If they're not loving you, it's because they're not loving me. So they're sort of ready for this. This message is brought to you by the letter D, all right? (laughs) So note-takers, you ready? Uh, First, we find in that opening paragraph the disturbance. The religious leaders are miffed with these truth-telling Christians. Uh, Secondly, we'll find Peter has to give a defense. Peter's called to give account of the gospel to these authorities and to for his own life in 5 through 12. Uh, Then there's a dilemma. The corrupt rulers are left speechless by the Holy Spirit's words of eloquence and power and anointing in the defense. uh, The guys uh, really don't. The council does not know what to do. And then the decision, finally. They're feeling outgunned, and it leaves their options so limited. And we're going to dive in now to the disturbance, as it's already on the screen. So the various temple authorities come and confront Peter and John while they're sharing the gospel. Rude. And so uh, 2, verse 2, they're thoroughly agitated because they're telling everybody that Jesus is alive when they worked so hard to kill a guy. What do you do with a guy you kill and he doesn't stay dead? That's a problem. So it makes them super annoyed. right? Verse 3, they violently apprehend those two. And since it was after business hours, they toss him uh, in the slammer until the next day. But they were a little late because many already heard enough of the gospel and saw the guy leaping around. They put their faith in the Lord, and the number grew to 5,000. So uh, things are heating up, and we dive in now. And I love that Jesus pulled no punches, and he told us, please don't expect a bed of roses. Don't expect everybody when you walk into a room or when you, you, when you identify yourself as a Christian who walks a narrow road that leads to life and there's only one way to be saved and that means you have to turn from your sins. Don't, don't expect applause and a party on your behalf. He says uh, you will be handed over to the local councils to quote him. He says, on account of me, you'll stand before uh, the authorities to give an account. Um, The gospel's going to go forth anyway. Uh, Whenever you're arrested, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Just say, just speak, and it will be given you of the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of nice to be for warned is to be forearmed, right? So if you know it's coming, you're not going to become undone like something strange is happening. Oh, I, have a, I have troubles, and I'm a Christian. Oh, no. Yeah, no. That's why you, p- Peter says, why are you guys acting to the Thessalonians? No, no, I'm wrong there. He's saying to the Jews scattered out there uh, who believe in Jesus. He says, why are you guys acting like something strange is happening to you with all your worldly troubles. He said, don't you know we're destined for that? So, yeah, to be forewarned, you see it coming. Uh, I told you about uh, the source of some of my PTSD when flying. I used to love to fly. I still do. Um, But something happened. Uh, We were coming home from Africa, but it wasn't any of the getting to America that was the problem. It was from JFK. to to San Francisco. And the pilot came on in the beginning, which I didn't, you know, know, hardly listening to them. And he said, you know, a little choppy air over Iowa, you know, just letting you know ahead of time. Well, I knew we were over Iowa because I was catching air, right? (laughs) When you catch air in an airplane, I mean, just bouncing sideways and the bins... And people letting out some screaming. Now I had never been in anything like that in my whole life. The flight attendants, oh man, they're all strapped in and everybody's freaked out. And the pilot comes on and says, "Sorry about that, folks." Uh, <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> and he goes, I-, "I tried to get us out of it. I climbed to 40,000. That made it worse." So I'm, we're, we're, coming ba- we're coming back down. It's going to be choppy for a while, but nothing like you just experienced. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I said to Adam afterwards, Pastor Adam, did you think we were going to die? He goes, I, don't know. I was singing worship songs. He, he told us. He warned us. So when it was happening, I'm like, oh, this is the choppy air. It said his heart at peace. Well, I wasn't paying attention, so I wasn't forewarned. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus tells you, you're going to be sitting at your, your dinner table. There'll be two of you, I'm quoting Matthew 10, there'll be two of you of your family on one end, and there'll be three on this side. And you'll be at odds because of me and you can't fix that by saying jk maybe he meant something else you know let's just talk about something else you know you can't make that enmity go away part and parcel of the deal he said i hate to tell you i didn't come to bring peace so that we just tell everybody's cool you believe your thing i'll believe my thing all roads lead to heaven i didn't come for that kind of peace he said in fact i came to divide and those on the side of truth, which he told Pontius Pilate. Pilate said, so you're a king. And he goes, you, you say that I'm a king, and for this reason I was born, to testify to the truth. And then Jesus said, and everybody on the side of truth listens to me. What can you do? You can't change the truth, hard as it is for some people. And so there they are. He said, and I quote Jesus, the, the, <laughs> the, a man's enemies." will be members of his own household. Now, enemies is a strong term. He's just saying, you will be at odds with your nearest and dearest over me, but you can't choose them over me. Because if you love mom and dad or son and daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. I'm God. I am God. I speak, I make planets. All right. You wouldn't be here unless I said, go ahead and take another breath. I made you, I sustained you, I died for you. You're coming to see me at the end of this. Therefore, I can tell you, you can't compromise here. You stand with me. And it's going to make some people crazy and you're going to be sad about it. Heads up. So, when it happens, it happens. So, let's meet these haters here. Sorry. Uh, There's the priests, they're the face of the temple ministry descendants of Moses' brother Aaron, or the, so they should be. But these guys are corrupt, and a bunch of wealthy families. are The aristocracy is running the whole show, really corrupt. Uh, the captain of the guard, the, the temple, had a police force, and uh, so the chief shows up. The Sadducees are, are also the priests, Sadducees are just one of the sects in the group there of the Sanhedrin, wealthy, kind of self-serving, power-hungry board members, maybe picture them like that. And so uh, for ordinary guys who (laughs) were fishermen and didn't go to school, um, Peter and John, they could be intimidated uh, staring at these kinds of people who come up uh, with a sour look on their face and violently want to seize them. Uh, why are they disturbed? They're disturbed. It's been three and a, year, three and a half years of this guy. Yeah, they're going to pretend like they don't know anything. Like, so what's going on here? You know, but uh, they've been working three and a half years to stop that voice. And there it is, echoing again, the nagging, haunting spirit of the gospel the hound of heaven, everywhere they turned, you know? And so Jesus humbled them when they met him on the temple courts and tried to trap him. These same men, trick questions, Jesus turned it back on their heads, and the crowd loved it and laughed at them in derision, and they're nursing that grudge. This was only a few months ago, and now the leader of the group, after we killed the main guy, we got number one and number two here. They wanted, they're they greatly annoyed. Jesus is the one who exposed their hypocrisy, He called them fakers, uh, they wear masks, uh, he called them a brood of vipers to their face. He called them out in the temple courts, pointed to them, exposed all of it. Matthew 23, the seven woes oh my word, well they still remember those words and they they thought they killed them, you know, like we took care of that. And even then they know the truth of resurrection. Why? The temple guards came on Easter Sunday morning back to them and said, boss we saw some angels that rolled the stone away. And the angels were saying things like, he's not here. Why are you looking? He's talking to the disciples and to Mary. Why are you looking for a dead person in a tomb? He's risen. The guards sought and fell to their face as dead men and then went and told the authorities, these guys. So they know. But these, how did they react? Did they bow their knees and go, Gotta, I can't go any further, I've got to kind of uh, surrender now. No, they fight. They will fight to the death. And so they offered the guards money to make up a story to say his disciples came while we were asleep and stole him away. And this story was circulating in that day. So these are the guys... They, they just, they're just like, why can't we get rid of him? And the funny thing is is that they, these guys told Jesus face to face, we want to see a sign from you right after Jesus healed somebody. So Jesus rolled his eyes and said, and said this, oh, you're going to get a sign. The only sign you guys are going to get is the sign in Jonah. Because as Jonah was in the belly of the earth for three days, On the third day, guess what? Surprise! There he is. What was Jesus telling him? You want a sign? The sign is going to be, you lose, I win. You're going to kill me, I'm going to come back up, and if you don't repent, I destroy you. That's the sign of Jonah. So now you know why they are disturbed. (laughs) Because here it is again. You just can't get rid of him. And that's what it is. So deja vu for Peter and John here. And so, yeah, it's time to move on. Now you know why they're disturbed. Um, But they know the truth right now. Had they not repented, they're in a place called Hades right now. It's not hell. Hell's not open for for business until after the millennial kingdom, he, he resurrects those who are in the holding place, which has flame, there, and thirst and agony. They've been there for 2,000 years, the names you've read, if they didn't repent. And at the end of 1,000 years, God resurrects every wicked soul that was ever born from Cain all the way to the end of the millennial kingdom. They all appear at what's called the great white throne for sentencing. And the books are open, And they're sentenced according to their deeds, meaning there's levels of torment in what Jesus calls the second death. And the folly of this is they're fighting against somebody trying to save them from that. That doesn't make any sense. So we go on now. It's time for Peter and John to come out of prison for their terrible crime. And make a defense. So, verse five, uh, morning comes, the authorities gather, the devil sounds the trumpet for reinforcements and backups, and here they come. You got Annas and Caiaphas, you got John and Alexander, nobody knows who they are, um, which is fitting, just some, but some want to be important people. Uh, They haul Peter, verse seven, and John before the council. And they begin questioning by whose authority are you doing all this? Verse 8, freshly filled with an encounter with the uh, Holy Spirit, empowerment. And he uh, says, Look, uh, yeah, we're guilty as charged. And yes, it's Jesus. And uh, we'll tell you for the third or fourth time, you know. And verse 11, and by the way, uh, you're in Psalm 118, Uh, you've rejected the most important piece of the puzzle. All right, so it's go time. Morning comes. The prison doors are unlocked. I don't think they met them with a cup of coffee or a croissant. You know, they just said, oh, yeah, come come on, you guys. Come on out. Stand on the X in front of the same council where our Lord stood. Amazing. Um, Yeah, rulers, elders, wealthy Men and corrupt teachers of the Bible. The Pharisees now are there, um, yeah, along with the rest of the clan. Uh, so uh, they're, they're, uh, you know, they say, okay, what's going on? How did you do this? Like they had no idea, uh, acting like they've never met Jesus, like they never heard his claims. Uh, they saw Jesus heal la- the lame and the blind in those very same courts only three months earlier. And then he cleansed the temple, kicked them all out of the temple, calling them a bunch of thieves, right? These guys, <laughs> and and they're still nursing that grudge. And so here's Peter and uh, John standing there before them. And so you know they they want to pretend like they don't know what's going on. They're just good-hearted men trying to be responsible stewards to get to the bottom of this strange miracle. Isn't that a better way to think of yourself? than than a rebellious person who's resisting the truth of God. Yeah, one writer said, the power of self-delusion seen in these men should cause all to embrace the truth, no matter how painful the truth is, lest you fall victim to your own deceitful heart. And that's what will happen. When you harden your heart to the truth, you get insane, you don't know what's true anymore. And so you're able to delude yourself, and, and, and that's what's happened here. Uh, Déjà vu, Peter is here in the place. He was also standing in the courtyard of, of Caiaphas three months earlier, warming himself by the fire while these same guys tried Jesus on the inside. And so Peter was on the outside saying, I swear to God I don't know him. Look at how kind God is. He says, Peter, I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to let you replace the worst memory of your life and make it the best memory of your life. And all that was missing was the person of the Holy Spirit. Because when you try to live the Christian life and stand up with your own willpower and your own human logic and, and all of that, hmm. there's nothing like the Holy Spirit. He does what we could never do. How intimidating. He's thinking. He takes his place on the X. He's been praying all night with John. You know that. (laughs) Am I going to fall again? Am I going to fail? Am I going to have the adequate words to defend the faith the way it should be defended? Are they going to flog us and beat us and crucify us too? Did he quote his favorite scripture from the Psalms? When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. The reason it moves me is because I got into some issues in June, didn't I? And as I was fighting for breath, I was afraid. And I quoted this verse a hundred times. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And I wasn't disappointed. Because here I am. And here Peter stood on the X, put in his trust in the Lord, and being filled. Now being filled with the Holy Spirit afresh and anew, we didn't just get the Holy Spirit at conversion, which is true, we get the Holy Spirit at conversion, but we also can be repeatedly filled. And it's something that we, we ask him to do. And now, especially in times of crisis or weakness or special need, you know when Paul came before Agrippa and had to speak, you know he's praying, God, fill me. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. When Gideon stood before a vast army, (laughs) Gideon's like, ah, fill me. And he filled him, tops us off with this power. When Joseph, handsome and well built, the Bible said of Joseph, was caught in the clutches of this woman who was trying to seduce him, grabbed him and grabbed at his clothes in her bedroom. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and said, how dare you ask me to sin against my God? That's not the power of willpower. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, One writer said, just live out your Christian disciplines The word of God, prayer, fellowship, sitting under the word, serving. And when your moment comes to stand on the X, which it will, you will all, you have stood on the X, and you will stand on the X again in your moment where it's go time. And you're going to need more than elbow grease to get yourself through. And he'll fill you if you've been walking that way, right? So Peter's answer, just to summarize, he opens with a sarcastic jab, pointing out how crazy it is uh, of an injustice to arrest somebody for doing a kind deed and, a, and something miraculous that alleviated some guy's suffering for 40 years. You, you put us in jail for that? You're going to fine a church for, for spreading the gospel, the good news that you can live forever and not go to hell? Are you going to kill the apostle Paul? Whose life was dedicated to loving service. Yikes. He says, wow. Shouldn't you guys be affirming and honoring us? Instead, you're denouncing the deed and dishonoring us. Does that make any sense? Well, Jesus said this. The world dishonors the honorable and highly esteems that which is detestable to God. Luke chapter 16 verse 15. And then notice Peter uh, boy, he's, he's, he's not just going to make a defense he's going to go on the offense and he says uh, actually you guys are the guilty parties. You murdered the son of God. You should be tried here. You're the guilty ones. Uh, you killed him but he's alive and well. God raised him uh, from the dead. And then he says, and about the song we sing, you guys, you know about the cornerstone? And they they all know the song. They've been singing it for 1,000 years. That's how old that hymn is for them. And so he says, when you get to the line, the stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone, Peter changes it to the stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So in ancient quarries, the stonemasons would check out large stones uh, and inspect them for perfection because the whole, it would be laying sort of the foundation uh, for which the whole building has to line up perfectly or you're going to have big, nasty problems. And so the prophecy in the song they love to sing was Messiah, the most important person in the world, will come. And he will be inspected and seen as faulty and weak and rejected. But then it turns out that, whoops, that was the foundation stone. And not just for some temple, but for everybody's life. It's the foundation stone that you build upon when you hear the word of God and do it. He says, you're going to be like the guy who builds on the rock The winds come, the storm, the rain, the flood comes up, and that building stands. Not so if you don't follow Christ's words. You build your life on the sand. No cornerstone for you. And then we get right into that beautiful proof text for Jesus being the only way. And he says, you know, the missing part of your puzzle piece for your life, you said, ah, that's not not part of my puzzle, my, my life, you know? And you reject that, but it really, really is the part. It's the only peace. There's no other peace given under heaven by which we have a life, we have salvation. Now, I guarantee you, if you want to get somebody to roll their eyes at you or mock you, then, then bring up this truth. Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. Apart from him, you'll perish. The world hates to hear that, right? Um, but it's true. And, and I, I told you this before, but I was in at a coffee shop, and I don't know how it happened, but I got into a conversation about the Lord with some woman, and she said, uh, "You're talking about Jesus like He's God." And I said, "There's a good reason for that, <laughs> because He claimed to be God, and then He did what only God could do. So what else? You know, Yeah, He's God." And he goes,. She goes, Jesus just needs to take his place in the circle of divine incarnations, the Buddha, the Krishna, the this, the that, and the other thing. Take his seat in the circle, I said. I said, ma'am, Jesus is the circle. (laughs) Jesus invented the circle. He fills the circle. You know, speaking of circles, you know the earth? He made the earth. How are you going to tell a guy like that? You need to take your seat, you know, in the circle. I said, I don't suggest we tell him to do that. I just don't really. So I'm a lot of fun in a coffee shop. <laughs> so, why is Jesus the only way? It comes down to what's keeping you from heaven, the nature of your problem. The nature of your problem is sin and a debt and payment, right? Someone has to pay for that. Right, So God became a man, laid down his life and took on your sin and bled out and died lived your perfect life that you couldn't live died the perfect sacrifice that you owed him so God is just now, your sins have been paid so if you want to be debt free and stand before God there's only one place to find that because only Jesus did the only thing that will put you right with God. Now, if there were, like, you could be good enough, then I suppose there could be lots of ways to be good, right? But if your problem is there needs to be a death applied to your account and blood spilled on your behalf, then only one person did that. And why are you telling me all religions are the same? Stop saying that. I know you don't say it. I'm talking to them. How can they be the same if they're different? <laughs> where do you find, should, tell, me, <laughs> tell me one other religion where God says, you guys can't do anything. Let me become one of you and do it all for you and you just trust me because I will spill my blood for you. I'll do everything. You just say, help, and believe, and boom, you're saved. Show me that in some other religion. All religions are the same. I don't think so. We better move fast now. (laughs) Oh, so you were thinking that. Oh, I caught you right there. All right, there are two paragraphs remaining. They're both kind of self-explanatory, so we'll move quicker, okay? So let's finish up starting with the dilemma. The poor guys get backed into a corner by the Holy Spirit. So yeah, verse 13, Peter and John's, uh, eloquence and power blow them away because they have no formal training, verse 14. They're stuck. They've got nothing to say, verse 15. Uh, so they kick everybody out till they f- can figure out what to do. And verse 16, gentlemen, we're up a creek without a paddle. Uh, how do we deny something like this? He's standing right there, and they all know him, verse 17. So let's just keep threatening them. So, this thing will stop. And so, okay, no denying the miracle, but it just really doesn't matter. Listen, listen to me. Get this through your heart. It's not about more words for your unbelieving loved one. If they've decided, I don't want to repent because I like this life I'm living, nothing you can say is going to undo that. So just love them the best that you can love. Be a good example. Pray. But that's all you can do. No, no more words. No more words. They've made a decision. It doesn't matter if I see somebody rise from the dead. I don't want to do the one requirement it takes to get me to go to the other side. I'm not willing to do that. And it, you only did it because you got to a place by the power of the Holy Spirit where you went like this. The sin I love and doing my own thing and perishing, boom, you're like okay, it's not worth it's not worth it, my life as I used to love that's exactly what I said, I said this under my breath the day I became a Christian, it's not worth it it is not worth losing my soul, like Jesus said, what does it matter man you get the whole world you get to be you and get to do what everybody applauds and you're, you're just happy and fulfilled and then at the end you lose your soul. Did any of that matter? That's just, just crazy that they keep fighting. So how dreadful to wake up one day and look in the face of God and realize you opposed him. <laughs> A loving God who was trying to save you. Yeah, so they're duly impressed but they're not going to admit it. You see that there. And what I love is is that God takes ordinary guys and goes, "Wow, listen to this!" And they're thinking, "Wow, they know the scriptures like us. They're better speakers than we are. What? Who are they again? They come from what? A, 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 a hatchery for salmon, or you know, where are these fishermen from?" And they're amazed, and then they go, "Aha! Of course. Where did we see this before? With the Son of God, you know, this Jesus." He's this carpenter, but with words that wow you. So they make the connection from the words and the behavior of the disciples with their Lord. That's what should be happening always with us. And so, yeah, they're impressed. Um, And so they're, they're befuddled, so they go behind closed doors and they admit a setback. Now how does Luke know exactly what happened behind closed doors? I'll tell you. Guess who's alive right now? And guess who's a Pharisee? And guess who's in the room? Paul the apostle. Saul the Pharisee. He's alive. He he quite possibly is in the room. And so Paul gets converted in Acts chapter 9 and becomes really tight with Luke. And now they're best friends. So Paul can tell him. So there we were. And this is what we said. However, it happened. Somebody got saved, and somebody let the cat out of the bag. But instead of softening their hearts, that's the thing. You know, they keep just saying, "Hey, we have." I mean, there's a guy. He's using his legs, and it must be God. But instead of saying, "Okay, uh, we we're wrong," he caught us fair and square. Let's let's give up. Instead of doing that, they want to fight, fight, and fight more, all the way to the end. Reminds me of the guy I told you about at. I was having my bone marrow transplant 20 years ago. And I'm on a very serious floor there where people are dying. And uh, the doctor came in and told the guy next to me, "Uh, you're going to have to uh, go home. Nothing we can do for you. No more experimentations, nothing. You're going to have to go home to hospice. So I get in a conversation with him. And I said, dude, do you know the Lord? And he goes, I've lived my entire life on my own. And I'm not gonna go groveling to God now at the end when they tell me I'm dying. I said, dude, it's a good time to have a change of heart, you know? And uh, he's, he got enraged with me so much so that the nurses had to call us uh, apart, you know? Because I'm like, dude, you're going home to die and then you're gonna face this God. And he goes, I'm gonna face him with integrity. And I said, it's okay to humble yourself and say you were wrong. This is the best way in the world to do it. But see, that's the thing. God will strive and strive with a person to their last breath. And so I know that he's... You know, who knows? I might see him. We might see him in heaven because, you know, you just never know. And so finishing up here, verse 18, the kangaroo court reconvenes. The guys are brought back in, and now they just say, okay, we want to tell you, it's illegal. From now on, here's the mandate. No more talking Jesus to anybody. No more teaching. We're going to post it on all the... Did I show you the picture of the temple in this service? Here's the picture of the temple. Right? Solomon's Colonnade is the row of the pillars on the east. Okay? And so let me show you just a quick, like, I mean, it's a big deal. That's where they are, right? So they're often in the um, offices there um, doing their thing and, and interrogating them. And so, yeah. So they say, We're going to post on those pillars the mandate, no more talking about Jesus. Now, did they also say to Peter and John, by the way, in Matthew 23, they wouldn't have said that, but in Matthew 23, your master called us out. But before he called us out and called us a whole bunch of names, (laughs) he said, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees need to be respected by you. Respect their authority. So they might go to a scripture like that and say, even God wants you to obey what we say, the authorities. Oh, but they say, well, not when the authorities post a mandate that says no more speaking in Jesus' name when that's the mission of our lives. So judge for yourself how God would perceive this. Should we obey you? That teach us to do something wrong, or should we obey God? And so that was that's another wise thing to say, you know, because they will gladly go to their death before they stop talking about Jesus, uh, because Jesus is their life, and they did. Peter. Peter went to his death, and they said, "We're going to crucify you like your Lord. And Peter said, <laughs> I am unworthy to be crucified like the Son of God. Crucify me upside down. Because we're talking about Jesus. We are loving God and we are obeying Him. We don't count our lives dear to ourselves, but rather that we may testify of the gospel of grace and finish the race God has set before us. Acts 20, verse 24. There is a quote. Though, did you notice this? Further threats? Last verse. Further threats means prior threats. We know where you guys are from. Your father's got a fish business, right? Zebedee and sons, well, only the sons' part now. Does it your dad pay taxes? We can make things really hard on your mom and dad. Peter, you're going to miss your wife when you're locked up. And I heard you just had a little baby. Maybe, we don't know. You're going to miss that. He's going to miss his daddy. We just want you to shut up. No more talking. Talk about anything else. Just don't mention the name of Jesus. We don't want you singing, we don't want you gathering. We don't want you standing so close together. Bothers us. You know what we're going to do? We're going to write articles about you. <laughs> we're going to make you look like a cult leader. <laughs> Though they did say. Reinman, a trim sixty one year old. All right, No, I've been working on it, yeah. (laughs) Glad to see someone notice, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah, we'll find you. Uh, Yeah, we'll we'll make people so intimidated they won't want to go to your church. Well, okay. I met a young couple, three little girls, tears in their eyes, they may be here today. Um... We found you. We found our church. We're home. We're not all the way Christians, but we feel like God is just calling us, and, uh, and we want to baptize, get baptized, or we want to get married. These are our three little girls, but we're not technically married, and, but we feel like it's the right thing to do, and we want to raise our girls to know God. And so on Friday, hold on, it gets better. <laughs> <laughs> On Friday, this the Friday we're talking about. On Friday, she was talking to a girlfriend who's a Christian. And the Christian says, you got to find a church. Find a church this weekend and go to church on Sunday. So they go home and they read uh, an, a certain article. And they say, that sounds like the church were us. <laughs> So now they're among us, and they're not the only ones who come, because we've been getting some free press. (laughs) Look, you know what? We understand all all of the conversation. But when you can go after this service to BJ's, where the entire room is filled with unmasked faces and people in booths sitting way closer than you are with unmasked faces next to unvaccinated people in an entire room laughing, having drinks, singing happy birthday, no social distancing, no masks, and all the differences. Here is a Diet Coke and onion rings in front of you. Is that the truth? That, that doesn't make any sense to me. And so all we're asking for is the same freedom that BJ's has. All right? And if we have to, we'll serve the onion rings. <laughs> let's, let's pray. Let's pray before I continue on. God, uh, thank you for your love. And Lord, for the... I know it's a serious situation, and I know all of these things, but we do, we have a mandate from you, God, to gather, to love one another, to greet one another, to sing. And all these things, God, we can't do if we obey man. And so we pray, Father, that you continue to give us love and patience and Wisdom as we walk through these very odd, peculiar times. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.